This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Hannah Bend, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited and I'm very grateful for the response so far that I've had with the novel. Yeah, Yeah. I feel very lucky. Let me introduce you because you are a first-time author, um, so people might not know who you are. Mm -hmm. Hannah is a writer, director, and screenwriter. She was born and raised in Hong Kong. She studied fine art and film in London and has a master's in creative writing from the University of Technology, Sydney. She was the 2013 recipient of the Ray Cope Young Writers Award for her novel as a work in progress. So she's here today to talk about her debut. It's called When Things Are Alive, They Hum. It deals with grief and love shared between two sisters. Now, We were lucky enough to receive advanced copies that we sent out to our readers and reviewers and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. People have loved it. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, it's a really beautiful book. Thank you. uh, I think it stirs your emotions on every level. Firstly, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about the book and what it's about and then we'll talk about how you came to write it. Yeah, so um, this novel is essentially about a relationship between two, two sisters, Harper and Marlo. Harper has a congenital heart disorder and she lives with Down syndrome. And when she finds out that she needs a life-saving heart transplant but is denied one by the medical establishment, her sister Marlo travels back from her studies overseas to be with Uh, Harper. And essentially, it's a story about the journey they go on to find Harper a heart and how far Marlo is willing to go to save her sister. Mm. It tackles so many uh, subjects. I mean, obviously, uh, relationships, uh, family, family dynamics, grief. Where have you drawn those emotions from? Like, is it, have you had personal experiences like this? Yeah. Um, so the main inspiration for this novel uh, was my sister Camilla, who lives with Down syndrome. And growing up, we were very, very close. She was a vivacious, charming uh, performer. She's the life and soul of the party, very humorous, you know, very enigmatic. And when she was 16, um, she very sadly contracted encephalitis. And so overnight, she uh, she changed. She became paralyzed. The doctors weren't sure that she would make it. She lost her ability to speak. And over time, she's regained her ability to walk, but she's lost a significant amount of her ability to speak. So I did find while writing this novel that I was going through my own grieving process for the sister that 
I had known and and I still do love very much. Um, And also trying to tackle my feelings around my inability to help her. I I mean, I can't give her her speech back. And I found a lot of these things really hard to process. And in in writing this novel, I think I actually was able to, to process some of the grief I felt and also come to a place of uh, hope in some ways and and really profound and much deeper understanding of the love I have for my sister. Mm. It's interesting because I think um, with grief, even though it's a very, very difficult time and process and emotion or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. there is, I think, very often some good that comes from it. Absolutely. Don't you think? We learn about ourselves and we learn about yeah. others. Um, Absolutely. What we do learn is the sadness that never goes away. No. But how to live with it. Yeah. There's a, a really um, deep resilience that comes from it and um, kind of a bit of sweetness. That you, you know, I, I feel a little bit more open to the harder experiences of life as well as the more beautiful ones. Um, they seem to come hand in hand. Mm. All right. So tell me about your career and how you came to writing a novel. Yeah, so I, I've always um, written. I used to, I mean, from a very young age, I'd write little scripts for my sister. <laughs> she, she would act act in them and, I mean, she'd often do her own thing, could never really tell her what to do, and that was great. Um, she'd often have better ideas than I would. Um, so I was always writing, and I initially studied fine art film at art school in London, and then went on to um, study screenwriting and directing at Afters, and I worked for a bit in the film industry. Uh, at one point, I was writing this novel as a screenplay at the same time, and I had to stop doing both at the same time because they're such distinct art forms and mm-hmm. I really deserve their own space. So I, I put the screenplay aside and focused on finishing the novel. When you were um, at school, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, I don't, I, I never really, I never really had a very clear idea. All I knew was that I, I loved to, to express myself, to paint, to act, to write. I, yeah, I never really, I never really set my mind on one thing, but I just knew what I loved doing and I just continued doing that. So where did um, you grow up? In Hong Kong. Yeah, tell me what that was like. Oh, it was amazing. Hong Kong is such a vibrant um, city. There's always something to do no matter what time of the day and night. It's really a melting pot of different cultures and communities. And, oh, I loved it. And the energy there is amazing. It's definitely got a very special place in my heart. And why did you leave there? Um, I left initially to study, to study in, in London, and then my uh, family moved back to Sydney. My mom's Australian. So I, after being in London for a long time, I, I missed my family and I <laughs> decided to come back to be with them in Sydney. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I love Australia as well. It's, uh, I, the, the sun is always shining. It's a beautiful city too. I mean, I, I live in Sydney and grew up in Sydney and people often, you know, and I have lived in London and I've lived in Melbourne and people often ask me about where I'd like to live. But for me, it's really just where my family is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'd live in Timbuktu if they lived there. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I do like place. I do. 
but it's not <laughs> as important to me. <laughs> That's really true. It is. Um, they they make any city home. They do, don't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Often they when I was in Melbourne, people say, oh, do you love Sydney better than Melbourne? No, 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 no. I just love where my family is. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Yeah. And then I'll get used to the city. I'm fine. Absolutely. <laughs> Home is where the heart is. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So did you talk to me about being a, a director and screenwriter? Talk to me about that art form. Look, I mean, screenwriting is so different. I I feel you access character much more through action and dialogue, whereas novel writing, you rely much more on description and internal monologue. And and also with screenwriting, um, you're thinking about, it's a much more collaborative process. You're thinking about who's going to read the script and and you you also want to be respectful of um, their interpretation of it um, and what they will bring. So it's a fine line between how much you say and how much you don't. Directing, I found that, you know, again, it's such a collaborative process. So I I feel directing draws on many different skill sets and, you know, you're, you're constantly working with people, whereas novel writing, I feel, I mean, you can do it alone in your room if you want. Um, They're very, very different. Very, very different art forms. Which one do you prefer, do you think? At the moment, I'd say novel writing. Um, Although having said that, I feel the way that I work is very visual. So I'll see something almost a bit like a film in my mind and then try to find the words to depict that. I also have a small small baby, so novel writing is kind of something that I I can do whilst being a mum. And I feel that um, it's much easier to uh, write whilst taking care of of her. Although I do feel that film sets are kind of changing and being much more accommodating to mothers and female directors. But um, I'm enjoying being able to be in close proximity to her whilst writing. So talk to me about writing the novel. So you said that you were writing the screenplay at the same time. Has the idea been brewing for years? Like, have you been thinking about this for a long mm. time? Yeah. So I, I, the idea initially came to me when I was in London back in 2004, 2005. And it's, you know, I've really been working on it since then. Um, I write very intuitively. So I, I write scenes and then kind of piece them together like pieces of a puzzle and kind of just let the the whole writing process take a life of its own. I, I'm not one of those writers to sit down and um, draft out a plot and then stick very um, tightly to that plot. So it has taken a long time. I think also in my own personal kind of grieving process, that's also informed the length of time that it's taken to write as well. I, I was on a long journey with that too. Mm. Mm. Did you want it to be a personal story? Look, I feel it's drawn very heavily on personal themes. Having said that, Harper is not Camilla, no. my sister, and and I am not Marlowe. But I did want to, I, I've said this many times, my sister's given me so much in life and I did want to share that. And that was one of the drivers that really fueled my writing. So it has come from a very deeply personal place, but the the characters are not essentially autobiographical. 
No, but you do get that sense that when you read it, it feels personal, if you like. And grief, it's a very um, difficult subject, I think. And do you know what I think too with grief? And obviously being the age that I am, I have had to deal with grief. And I remember the first time I was really young. I was, it was primary school. Can't remember. Maybe years. Yeah, year five. Anyway, I went to my friend's house in the holiday and I knocked on the door and I said, oh, is Marguerite home? And the mother just fell to the floor and I couldn't work out what was going on. And then her brother came from behind and said, Marguerite died. And Mm. I remember not knowing how to deal with the firstly I couldn't Mm. deal with their reaction and then I didn't know how to deal with my reaction and Mm. I had to walk back home and find my way back and you know so young but I remember even at that age thinking how personal grief is you know they said they often say couples break up or when a child dies or I can see how that happens because even though there's five stages of grief it's not your grief those five stages are different for every person. Mm, absolutely. I think you bring your own experiences in life to it. And it's, it is a very profound experience. And I, I also feel um, on some level that it's not spoken a lot about in society. I, I, there's, I've, I've experienced this with friends who have been grieving and lost loved ones. And um, obviously, although I haven't lost my sister, I have lost the sister I knew and grew up with, I felt I didn't have enough tools readily available to handle this. And um, it it wasn't, it was almost something that you kind of were expected to just deal with and Mm. not really speak about. And that makes it so much harder. Mm. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I have a really fond memory of that time. And I think that, you know, and it's all about processing your emotions. Mm. But I still remember the morning I got up to go to the funeral and the dress I wore and my mother bought me posy of roses to take with me. And that moment, I mean, I have such a vivid memory of that. And I feel that with, with grief, you just need those little acts of kindness that come Mm. inside, you know, you're there by yourself, but 
don't you think? Absolutely. And I feel, um, I've noticed this with friends who've lost loved ones and and obviously with our own experience, that the, the moment where something terrible happens, I mean, everyone's there to support you, but then the months and kind of years that follow, it's not the same and you don't get that level of support necessarily all the time. And sometimes you need it more then than mm-hmm. in the moment that it really hits you. So kindness is everything isn't it just yeah um okay so talk to me about at what point did you think that this novel was ready that as you know well we've we kind of touched on that you write in isolation mm-hmm. um and then at some point you think well actually I've got something that people might want to read how did you get to that point um Look, I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and so <laughs> it took hard to get to that point. Yeah, it was really hard to get to that point. And um, I guess I was I was pregnant and literally the month that I gave birth, I finished. I kind of felt... Deadlines. Um, yeah. <laughs> I felt, I'm, look, I'm about to start something new. I think it's time. And that I think that really made me kind of say to myself it doesn't matter if I find mistakes and I don't feel that I've done a good enough job or whatever it is that's going through my head now's the time it's been long enough and yeah I think that was the main driver to finish and what did you do with it when it was finished how did you get it published um Back in 2013, I, I did a course with the Faber Academy um, at Ellen and Unwin, and I did a reading of my novel, and Gabby Nea contacted me and said she was interested. And um, at the time, I felt I wasn't ready and I needed to work on it some more. So fast forward, what is that, you know, nearly 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> need to work on it some more, just a little. <laughs> Yeah, I emailed Gabby and I said, if you're still interested, it's ready. And um, yeah, then things just kind of took off from there. I I wasn't expecting, um, you know, kind of what's happened and I'm very grateful. I just want to go back to that, you know, 10 years is a long time between Mm. kind of writing and writing again. And you would have had this experience because I'm sure you're a reader as well. If I read a book that an author has written 10 years ago, it's often very different in maturity Mm, to to what they're writing now. And do you feel that that your novel changed in that time because you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. And I think that was a big part of it as well. I think intuitively I knew 10 years ago there was something missing and I think that was a big reflection of where I was at. Um, on my personal journey with dealing with some of the themes that I've explored in the book. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Because, you know, it would have been a different book if you had given it to Gabby back then. Absolutely. Mm. It really would have. And um, also I think I grew as a writer, not to say that I'm there yet, but I think, um, you know, I I really, I, I had that time to kind of really figure out how I wanted to express myself and what style of writing I liked and what I love to read and mm. um, just allowing that to mature as well was important. Mm, absolutely. How did you feel about getting published? I'm still in shock. <laughs> <laughs> I think also with COVID, I've been very removed from the process. I mean, you know, now we're in lockdown again and I'm kind of doing this all from the living room. So yeah, I'm still very, it feels a bit, I feel like I'm having an out of body experience almost. It's 
unreal. Yeah, it is unreal. It is. I, I feel, you know, it's really funny. I spoke to an author um, last March and he, Kyle Perry, and he had just mm. published his first book. And I said to him, oh, you know, I know it's unusual. And, uh, you know, but by the time you publish your second, we'll be out there and we'll be out and about. <laughs> He's just published his second Oh no, has changed. It probably will. <laughs> no, um, my luck, yeah. Okay, I want to talk to you now about, you know, where do you go from here when you write a fiction book that is so mm-hmm. personal? Like what mm-hmm. is the next project? And have you been thinking about mm. that? Oh, I've um I've already nearly finished a non-fiction work that I'm doing, which is actually about my journey with stage four endometriosis, which has been a really tough journey. And I've lived in a lot of different countries and it's funny, the response with the medical establishment has pretty much been the same. Mm. Um, So there's that. And I've also started a novel about a mother-daughter relationship. Oh, I wonder where that comes from. I'm going... (laughs) Yeah, seem to be going through all the family relationships here. I just want to talk about place a little bit. Do you think writing, let's say you're writing in in Hong Kong versus Mm -hmm. writing in Australia. I'm asking you this because I've often spoken to writers, Petty Carey, Mm -hmm. Cassandra Austin, so many people that don't live in Australia but write Australian, like Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, like Petty Carey, for instance, his books are always set in Australia. Yeah. Did you think about that? Did you think about place? Absolutely. I, I wrote the majority of the novel while I was living in Australia and I had a real homesickness for Hong Kong and it kind of heightened the experience for me of writing Hong Kong from a distance and all the things that I loved and missed about it, which I don't think um, I would have been able to do in the same way had I written the novel while I was in Hong Kong. It's, uh, I often think about that, actually. It's, um, it's quite um, profound, writing from afar. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's really about identity as well. Absolutely. Isn't it? And, the, you know, my, um, my cultural identity, I feel, um, although I'm not Chinese, I feel a huge part of my cultural identity is related to my experiences growing up in Hong Kong. And that's something that I really... I kind of yearned, yearned for um, that while living in Australia, yearned for people who had similar experiences. And I found myself explaining, you know, where I'm from in Australia. A lot of my, my accent is, is, a lot of people say accents all over the place. And, you know, who are you? And kind of mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it was a really interesting experience and time. Mm. Uh, my parents um, are Lebanese and even though I was born here, some of us were born in Lebanon, some here. And I often think the experience of uh, living or coming from two places, I mean, I feel very Lebanese even mm-hmm. though I was born here. But I do think it's kind of like torn between two lovers. Like you always. Oh, yeah, that's a great Don't way of putting that? it. Yeah, it's a wonderful way of putting it. I, I did also a lot of research, um, which I think you fall into this category of being a third culture kid, so growing up in a culture outside mm. the ones that your parents uh, grew up in and um, the many ways that it affects you and informs your identity. It's very interesting. 
Mm -hmm. It is really interesting. When I was little, and you might have been the same, although you you wouldn't have left Hong Kong then, but I pushed back a lot against it Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be different. I really just wanted to be blonde and blue-eyed and look like it, which was impossible in primary school. I really wanted to fit in and I wanted to be like everybody else. And then when I got to high school, I started thinking, well, actually, this could work in my, fa-. you know, I'm yeah. different, some embrace. And then when I became an adult, boom, you know, I yeah. thought this is what gives you texture. It was, yeah. You know, and absolutely. then you start to appreciate it a whole lot. Yeah, more. absolutely. It's well said. Okay. Mm. I feel the same. Well, Hannah, you are someone to watch. <laughs> I mean, I think that this is just <laughs> the beginning for you. Oh, thank you. It's very kind. <laughs> It's been so lovely to chat and I really hope to meet you one day in person. So do I. It would be lovely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.